0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of Unpacking Islamophobia, a podcast project brought to you by The Bridge Initiative at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. My name is Arsalan Iftikhar. I am an international human rights lawyer, senior fellow at The Bridge Initiative, and author of the book Fear of a Muslim Planet, Global Islamophobia in the New World Order. My guest today is Shireen Ahmed, who is an award-winning sports activist, multi-platform sports journalist, public speaker, and diversity and inclusion consultant. Shireen's work primarily focuses on Muslim women and the intersections of racism and misogyny in global sports today. She is also a co-host for the Burn It All Down podcast and a senior contributor to CBC Sports, as well as an instructor at Toronto Metropolitan University in Canada which she calls home. Shireen. thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So Shireen, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, hijab bands in, in global sports today. And, and I thought that the first question that would be quite fitting for our audience is if, uh, if you could give us an overall narrative history uh, about hijab bands within global sports today and where you see it going in the future.
1: Thanks so much. So just for people that don't know, I think it's really important to say that every sport and a lot of different countries have different rules and policy about this, while the underlining practice of something like the International Olympic Committee would really be that athletes, and I'll start with this, uh, all National Olympic Committees are supposed to adhere to this, that athletes should be free entry without discrimination on grounds, of religion, color, or political affiliation. And that's a really important place to start because, you know, sport is one of the things that we should all have access to, um, irrespective of where we are in the world. Now, what we see in terms of hijab bands, and it's it's funny because what happens is international federations of sport generally set the tone for a sport for example you might have regional leagues and grassroots leagues all over the world who would permit hijab in various circumstances um and i'm talking about the the global south and then i'm talking about you know the western the global north project as such so that would that would apply to both so for example um i'll give you the instance of soccer football and um it wasn't really so much that there was any policy written that it couldn't be, it was banned. That didn't start really until 2007. Um, but for, I'll take use my example for uh, example, I played at the University of Toronto, but when I decided to wear hijab, I was in third year, there was no policy actually stating that I could. So what happens is it's led up to the officials in most cases, and you'll find the um, officials or the referees end up making a lot of decisions. And for the most part, they have no concept of what hijab is and how it applies to an athlete, et cetera. So they're left with making decisions, having no knowledge of, of anything about Islam or yes. sports as it applies. So, and, and that's what happened in my case. So, more formally, two thousand and seven, um, it was a, it was a young player from um, Ottawa, Canada, named Asman Mansoor, who actually elevated this after she was ejected from a match for wearing hijab, and FIFA didn't know what to do at the time. And so they were like, no, it's banned. Because the, the impulse and the impetus for people to reply to hijab questions is to say, no, they're banned. That's exactly what happens. And I do want to remind everybody that the majority of international federations, the table is completely full of men, normally men who don't have any connection. And I do want to stress that because you're having policy right. be created, like most things in sports, by men and As it applies to women. And most of the time they have no connection to a Muslim woman. So initially they said, well, we don't want religious, we don't want sport to be religious and that failed miserably. Because if you look at professional sport as it is in Europe or elsewhere, you'll see South American players signing a crucifix or have tattoos of religious objects. So you really can't divorce that from their identities. So then they decided to come up with it's dangerous, although there was absolutely no indication, because I spent 10 years looking for it, emailing and writing federations, that any player had been injured from a hijab or an opponent. So um, they, were, they they stuck with safety. So fast forward 2012, Prince Ali bin Hussein of Jordan, who is also the head of the Jordanian Football Federation, basically spearheaded a campaign and bankrolled it as well to say that we're going to do research and show that it's not actually dangerous, created prototypes of hijab to wear in sport. And you would think that if football did it, basketball would follow suit. No, it didn't work like that. They didn't do that. They were like, we're going to do our own thing. We're still going to ban it. So it's just like football was essentially allowed hijab 2014, March one. FIBA, then I started writing and covering that issue. That didn't happen until 2017. So, I mean, I think how we engage with social media and information is very different than those people who are sitting at tables of international governing bodies. And the problem is it applies so, so badly. It's applied. These rules are applied and they affect little girls. They affect families and they prevent and keep young girls and women from sport
0: you know i i really appreciate that and and so my next question to Shireen is you know why why do you think the hijab bans on were upheld in France when they were struck down by both fifa and, and fiba and, and what are sort of the global implications of the the french hijab ban uh, in sport as well
1: and and that's a really important question. So just for to picture this, the entire world has said, okay, we'll do hijab, and it might take generations to get players who wear hijab, who had had to choose between faith and sport, essentially, a choice they never should have to make. So France, meanwhile, is like, no, they're doubling down, saying we're not doing this. And France has since quadruple down, if it's possible. And I mean, my visceral reaction is to tell you there's histories of colonialism, and imperialism attached to this. There is tremendous anti-Muslim, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim sentiment. The xenophobia is rife in France. I was in Geneva recently and met with some um, athletes from Basket Pour which is an organization in France that advocates for basketball players who want to wear a hijab and play. The discouragement and the... Emotionally violent and psychological way that France is preventing Muslim girls and women and treating them in sport is abhorrent to me. Um, I really think it's a human rights violation. There's no question for me. This is a human rights issue. Um, It is controlling women's bodily agency um, and sort of citing this um, this idea of um, secularism, which is called laïcité, which France really sticks to. Mm -hmm. And the issue with laïcité is that in principle, it's it's not a bad It's not a bad thing if it's evenly applied, which it is not. And that's the issue here, that it is not being uh, justly applied to French people, um, French citizens, people have been there for generations. So you have a complete isolation in society of Muslim women and racialized women who the majority of hijab wears in France. Um, France is still most recently and most absurdly, uh, they are hosting the Olympics, And they have decided that since they cannot ban everybody in the Olympics from wearing hijab because it would be against an Olympic charter, which I cited in the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, they will ban their own athletes because their own athletes, although they're under the umbrella of the IOC, have to adhere to their to their national federation. So they're banning their own athletes from wearing hijab, which is an unbelievable spectacle of hypocrisy and discrimination. And. It's in the biggest stage of sport in the world. So you've got Muslims from all over the globe that will actually descend on France as hosts. And I can't think of anything more inhospitable than to be welcomed in that way and unfriendly, where your sisters in, in sports and, and faith are not allowed to wear a hijab while they're competing. They will be permitted to wear it in the athlete's village. But, which is even more ridiculous to those of us that actually observe and wear hijab and choose to do so. And the idea that this happens is I think about this a lot, is that forcing women out of clothing is as violent as forcing them into it. and i right. I say that repeatedly because it is taking away choice, which is the most imperative thing here. And you know, it's it's masquerading as some type of white feminism. And saviorism is that hijab is oppressive, whereas women are constantly saying, you know, that this is our choice. And it's 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 quite enraging and saddening, to be honest, as someone who's been in this realm for a long time. I am completely discouraged every time I speak with people from France. I can't believe it's come to this.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, and, and sort of staying on the topic of the Olympics and the Paris 2024 Olympics. Um, you know, I was wondering if you could tell our audience a little bit about uh, the IOC Olympics and, and, uh, and their policies in terms of, of hijab bans a little bit more.
1: Well, the IOC has an inclusion policy. And as I said, their athletes are not to be discriminated against on any basis. Um, but what happens is you have a sticky game of politics. And I don't know why. I actually don't think France should be permitted to participate in the Olympics at all. Like, that's how I feel. If you are deliberately excluding a group of people, um, why should you be given the opportunity to do this? And, I mean, I think one of the things that we see in this type of discrimination is that those with any type of privilege or power remain unaffected. We know what apathy is like. We see it more now, more than ever in the world. If this type of injustice doesn't affect you, you remain inattentive and apathetic to it and historically Muslim women and racialized bodies of black and brown women have been uncared for and nobody has paid attention to them but it's the responsibility of the world of sport to say no that's not acceptable here and as far as the 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 IOC they remain they're sort of very they move gingerly around this topic because on the one hand there's been no admonishing from them, whereas the United Nations has called this unjust, which I find really interesting. The issue of banning their own athletes, the UN in September actually said it was, you know, they said this was not a good thing. They came up publicly and actually said that, that, you know, there was a a statement and for the from the spokeswoman of the UN High Commission for Human Rights in just and that She said, Maria Hurtado had said, in general, according to the Committee on Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, any state party of the convention, in this case France, has an obligation to take all the appropriate measures to modify any social or cultural patterns which are based on the idea of inferiority, superiority of either sexes. So when you think about that and what that means, they should really curb this behaviour and in my opinion not just for the olympics because this is referring to the time that the olympics are being hosted i think mm-hmm. they should curb and eliminate patterns of injustice period so and and i think the the world of sport has a very very important responsibility here um athletes around the world and i, I wouldn't want to put the burden only on Muslim athletes to have to speak up for this. I think it's important in solidarity to say something. And a lot of people don't know that's the other problem. So I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about this.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for me as a human rights lawyer, you know, I I really want to sort of delve a little bit more into the religious freedom aspect of, of this whole phenomenon. And so I was wondering if you could discuss the religious freedom aspect of you know, the global sports hijab bans on individual female Muslim athletes and and talk a a little bit about about the international legal rights of female Muslim athletes who choose to wear the hijab uh, regardless of sport.
1: Well, one of the things that I think you have to adhere to as long as the individual right of a person doesn't sort of contravene any type of safety law, and that's important. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind that if the hijab that I'm wearing was a danger to me or to an opponent, that would make sense to me. For example, jewelry is a really good example here. Okay. You could potentially hurt somebody else with okay. a ring or a nose ring could get ripped out. So I know in football in particular, you have to take off all jewelry. Basketball is a little bit different. Like even in football, you're not permitted to wear a necklace because it could be ripped off. It could mm-hmm. scratch somebody. Whereas basketball is a little bit different. And I've, I've, as I mentioned, I've researched this for years trying to contact Football festivals. Federations, if any athlete had been hurt by a hijab, there was no documented reports of this, because believe me, if someone was hurt by a hijab, it would have been plastered everywhere. Totally. And it wasn't. Um, but the reality is, is that jewelry has been mentioned many, many times. Braids, uh, elastic bands and hair, that kind of thing. People are even wary of um, headbands and how they, they are tied down. So j- just as suppose they they shouldn't be a, a potential risk or a hazard for choking or anything like that. But as I mentioned, the prototypes for um, hijabs that are permissible are, are really interesting because they actually come with Velcro, the ones that are acceptable or come off easily. And as a soccer player myself, I can tell you that the only danger with wearing hijab is that when you had the ball, it'll come off, mm-hmm. which has happened. And nobody is struck by lightning. It's totally fine. You pick it up. You readjust it. Your teammates kick the ball out to buy you some time. You, everybody moves on. Right. That's, that's what happens. And I think in this case, it's really, it, it is interesting to note that when FIBA, the international governing body of basketball, announced that hijab was allowed and permitted in their sport, they did so in conjunction with Nike promoting their Sports hijab, so mm-hmm. yay! Capitalism is saving Muslim women, isn't it?
0: <laughs> totally. Uh, you know that's a, a great segue into my my last question to you is, um, you know, what, what what do other major sports leagues like the WNBA uh, in basketball uh, say about hijab bands? And more importantly, where do you think this debate is going to uh, evolve in the next one, five, ten years from now?
1: Um, I think that. Other sports federations, um, for example, in France, if you play in France, um, in their in their leagues, you're not permitted to wear hijab. You're not permitted to play, coach, officiate. So it's not just about playing. You cannot be connected to sport in any capacity while wearing wow. a hijab. So that extends just to be on the player. Um, okay. You can't be a medic associated with a team. Um, it's a physiotherapist, for example. So it's really, it's quite broad. In yeah. your connection, you're, you're not allowed. Um, as far as other leagues go, uh, when with uh, the WNBA, for example, there are Muslim women who play in the league and okay. currently none who wear hijab who play in okay. the WNBA. Um, when Commissioner Kathy Engelbert was in Toronto for a, a game, an exhibition game in May, I asked her in a press conference about this. And she said, although she doesn't know the specifics of France, her quote was, I would not tolerate that. So that's really important to have on record because sure. moving mm-hmm. forward, there are French players who are excellent who are playing in Div One and CAA programs, and who have an intention to to play pro and play the WNBA. Um, they would be permitted to do so, but they wouldn't be allowed to play for their own country. And I think it's. The history that France has with Muslim athletes is really complex and very layered. And I've, the people and the advocates that I've met from there are truly committed to fighting this in any capacity possible. But you, know, you sort of see this brick wall against you where it is established within society to reject Muslim women and their inclusion into wider French society. And I'm I'm astounded at the ways that that is so arrogantly, you know, they're unapologetic about this. And I that I can't fathom as somebody who is really rooted in inclusion and paths for inclusion and accommodation of uniform. I, it's something that still to this day, really, it, it horrifies me and it, it disappoints me greatly because I believe in sport as a connector of people. And I, I don't know why this is acceptable. Um, also not to mention missing out on the opportunity of having these incredible generational talents come and play for you. And we'll never know. Like I've interviewed many athletes in France and they've told me that they don't even try. They love football. You can't help what you fall in love with, right? They don't. They, they don't. But it's important to also note that not every sport does this like rugby for example doesn't have this law rowing doesn't have this law so it also where in France it would apply to all sport but globally not every federation was discriminatory I just want to set that whereas in France you still have friends saying no they can't do any sport they can't go to a gym a private gym and work out that's yeah. how bad this is um, I read testimonies of women who went to a local gym to try to work out and if you're if that head covering is more than eight centimeters they're asked to leave or take it off so it's you know it's some of the stories are really they're just really terrible to read but you know there's a there's a resilience and and a and a want and a need for people um there's academics working on this issue there are incredible you know there's a Sociologist, sports sociologist named Dr Haifa Talili, who is really supporting um, all these athletes and advocates with with work and these organizations I've mentioned. There's a group called Les Hijabos who play football and they are composed of young Muslim women and allies um, to try to have football games outside of, you know, municipal centers to draw attention to this fact and their skill, of course. So, you know, there's there's ways in which people are mobilizing, but uh, it's tough.
0: Shireen Ahmed, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on the Unpacking Islamophobia
1: podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. For more information, please visit bridge.georgetown.edu. See you next time.